This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Every now and again when I prepare a message, I ask myself, should I really go there? And then I'm like, yes, let's just do it. I go where others don't want to go. That's uh, that's how I, uh, in general, do things. So I was really praying about the, should I go there? Should I address these things? And, you know, our vision, our mission is revival. We really believe there's a call from God for us to see revival uh, in the city, in this region. And I also believe the, the Lord has called me, called us to help people navigate the complexities of revival. Because when you think revival, you know, believers across the world are praying for revival, sometimes for decades, for generations. They're praying for revival. And then when revival comes, it offends them into the grave. Because it doesn't look like they think it should look like. And I want to show you that I want to equip us so we can navigate the challenges of revival. Revival is messy. Revival divides the church. Revival offends. When God shows up, it divides the room. It divides the church. It offends the hearts of people. I want to show you that. So we're going to look at some of, some of the things of the past. We're going to look at some of the revivals in the past so that you and I won't miss a true move of God. Amen? I mean, who wants to see God show up? Amen. Okay, so I believe this is going to help us not miss when he truly shows up in his glory and in his power. So, and you might ask like, but why would revival be messy? Why would revival cause controversy? Why would revival offend? Because when revival comes, it's war. The kingdom of heaven clashes with the kingdom of darkness. And that means it's like a cold front and warm front crashing against one another. You're going to have lightning and storms and strong winds and action. Okay? And so I want to help us on this journey. So uh, I've been reading a book by a, a psychologist called Dr. John White. And so he says, to, to, to sort of get us uh, rolling, he says, From a safe distance of several hundred years, or several thousand miles, revival clearly looks invigorating. What could be more glorious than a mighty work of God in our midst, renewing thousands and converting tens of thousands? But when we actually look at a revival, we find something not nearly so clear as we imagine. There is sin and infighting and doctrinal error. And if we find ourselves in the midst of revival, rather than being invigorated, we may be filled with skepticism, disgust, anger, or even fear. Why does our expectation not match the reality? Why is revival sometimes so messy? And I want to give you the answer to those questions. Why it tends to be so messy so that we can navigate these things. Okay, so six characteristics of revivals. Uh, from Dr. John White's book, I'm just sort of simplifying it a little bit. 
Um, a revival is an unusual work of the Holy Spirit, but like it's a, it's like almost like the normal working of the Holy Spirit, but expanded, increased in, in power and in glory. And so these are six characteristics. Half of them are bad. <laughs> okay. So number one, many are awakened to repentance, faith, and worship. Many are awakened to repentance, faith, and worship. And that is beautiful. That's what we want to see. Many people become aware of God. Many lukewarm Christians catch fire. Hearts turn to the Lord. Many begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's beautiful. Okay, number two. God's power is manifest in human lives. The result of this move of God is that you can't, it's not just psychological, it's not just sociological. It is like there is significant change in the lives of people and the only conclusion you can have to this must be God. Number three, the church becomes a way of the revival, the wider church. But perceive it as a threat. Perceive it as a threat. Because there's this move of God and the established church is like, What's going on? Why are like church leaders, like why are my people suddenly going places and other churches and going to these meetings and like church leaders tend to be this, the established church tends to become uh, upset and offended and begin to criticize and find fault. So in the 1900s, beginning 1900s, it was um, a Two incredible revivals. The one was a Welsh revival in, in Wales, and the other one was in Azusa Street in California. And it was basically the start of the Pentecostal movement worldwide. You know, it was the power of the Holy Spirit was at work. People would begin to pray in tongues. Like, it was like a really, it's happened before, but it was like, it was restored and revived to the, to the body of Christ. But it upset many people. Like Azusa Street was led by a black man and it was a diverse group of all colors, all kinds of people together. That was already offensive for that era. And the guy was uneducated that was leading it. There were a lot of reasons that people would find fault with it. And so people would speak against the Pentecostal charismatic movement. And they would say horrific things. I can give you like lists of things. But just one of the things that they said was, one of the church leaders of that time, of the 1920s, 30s, spoke about the Pentecostal church movement and said, this is the last vomit of Satan. Sure. Are you sure? (laughs) Because they didn't understand. They became afraid. And fear always leads to anger and unrighteous, ungodly anger. But we could see the fruit of the charismatic Pentecostal move is that many, many, many lives were ultimately changed. Okay, but so the church perceive it as a threat. When God begins to move, it divides. Number four, when God begins to move, there's unusual behaviors which cause controversy. It's like people exhibit unusual physical and emotional behaviors which create controversy there can be an offense to the opponents of the revival and they can it can also be a snare to its supporters in other words out of the box kind of things begin to happen because of the power and the presence of god that comes things like often when people encounter god they would shake they would their bodies would shake 
they would fall under the power of God. They would begin to weep. Some would begin to laugh as God releases emotional trauma in their lives. Sometimes people would just become joyful and discover how much God loves them. So that at times they would laugh. Some would experience terror at the reality of hell and discovering that they are sinners and they need to turn to God. I mean, this is like 300 years of revivals, the great awakenings, the Methodist movement by John Wesley and many revivals over the 300 years, all the same kind of things. But sometimes when we have a very narrow mindset and we're not, you know, we only look at our church context and our church tradition and our personal experience. And we look at something like, and it doesn't look, it doesn't look good to your eyes. It's like, what is this? What is this? And it causes controversy. The excess would be that people would pursue manifestations. That would be an excess. No, we follow Jesus. We pursue Christ. If God supernaturally moves and touches somebody they they began to sh- begin to shake or have an emotional release or or fall under the power of god then that's that's god's business we don't pursue that we pursue jesus okay but so there's this controversy people standing against and others going into excesses number five revival is messy there's a mixture in both good and bad and that's often causes confusion because people are like, I don't know if this is of God. And then they get something bad like, oh, see, bad, bad, bad. It's not of God. And then they miss what God is doing because some believers would be immature. Some would respond in impulsive ways. Others would fall into sin. Often leaders of revivals would fall into sin. And so it would be the strange blend of godly and ungodly things. And... The power of God present, but also human weakness. You know, people are part of revivals. And so often when we people want to just look at the weakness, the human weakness, say, it cannot be God. And then they miss what God is doing. It's like in 2008, there was a revival led by Todd Bentley in the United States. And a lot of people are pointing to that as evidence that all these things of the Spirit is not of God. So incredible things happened and miracles and people turned to Christ, but the guy was immature, undeniably immature. And then immorality set in and he divorced his wife. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a complete mess. Immorality and human weakness and sin is not evidence that something is not of God. Amen. Because otherwise you have to write off every church group in the whole world. Because there have been stuff ups everywhere. Human weakness, human sinfulness. It's part of the game. Revival is messy. A move of God is messy because people are involved. And number six, a revival leads to reforms. If it's big enough, influential enough, over the next century, it brings massive change to nations. And history proves that. Okay, but so three out of the six are not positive. It's messy. It's messy. It's messy. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a very, is a very respected theologian from the 1700s in the United States. He was like studying revivals. He was studying the great awakening in the U.S. And, and, and he said that a work of God without stumbling blocks is never to be expected. You want to follow God? You want to see God show up and you want to encounter him? Guess what? There will be stumbling blocks on that way. Somebody will do stupid. That's how it works. There will be things challenging you. There will be somebody irritating the heck out of you. 
Because people respond in funny ways. But the mission is, we want Jesus. We want God. We want to see lives change. That is the mission. That's the focus. Okay, so I want to share two main truths to help us navigate um, revival. To help us not miss God. Number one, revival is messy, as I've said. Revival divides the church. Revival divides the church, okay? So let me give you examples. Over the ages, people pray for revival. Then when revival shows up, they oppose it. History shows us as well that every group that had a move of God, that experienced the move of God in the previous generation or a decade ago or in the past, those are the ones that persecute the next move of God. History shows it. 1500s, 1400s, 300 AD, you name it. Move of God. Incredible things happen. Ten years later, those are the guys that persecute the next move of God. In other words, we need humility. We need to understand that revival is messy. Otherwise, we will miss what God is doing. So we see with them, with the Jewish people, I mean, for, for centuries, the Jews were praying for the Messiah to come. Now, you know, Old Testament, they were like, we're praying for the Messiah to come. And then what happens? He shows up. Jesus, 50-year-old Jesus. And they were all like, welcome. We've been waiting for you. We love you. Come and lead your church. No. Nuh-uh. It was chaos. Jesus had unbelievable opposition. I mean, this is God, the son of God, who's been prophesied about for centuries. And now what? He's too young. He's too uneducated. He's too unmilitary kind of guy. And he's like friends with sinners, prostitutes even, and the, the, the scum of the earth. <laughs> Somebody said every revival will be led by scum, according to other people. Because they are too young, too uneducated, not established enough, not part of the, the established church. And Jesus was seen as the scum from Nazareth. Can any good come from Nazareth? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So look at this, Luke eleven fourteen. So miracles begin to break out. Jesus heals, he casts out demons. We see now a, a revival characteristic number one. You know, it's like people are awakened to God. We see revival characteristic number two, that the power of God begins to move. So you see, and he was casting out a demon in public. It was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. There's the turning to God, the excitement. Marveled. God, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. Something new, something different from what we've experienced before. And so hearts turn to God. God shows up and people are set free. It's beautiful. Multitudes marvel. Then verse 15. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons. When I read that, I'm so thankful. I'm like, some. Praise God. Just some. Not everyone. 
not even a big percentage, just a few accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of the devil. But like the chief devil. It's not the little small de- demon, it's the chief of demons. You know, so it's, it's like with a charismatic Pentecostal church worldwide, it's like 600 million plus people. Grew from Azusa Street times from almost nothing to 600 million plus. Fastest growing group in the church world. Meaning people who embrace the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's growing. Multitudes turning to Jesus. Is it messy? Absolutely. Doctrine perfect? Most of the time, no. It's messy. Okay, especially when there's expansion and growth. It's messy. But now when you go onto YouTube... It's sometimes you know, there's, there's, there's the other group that is accusing that group, like you know, the last vomit of Satan. If you go to YouTube, you'd think, wow, these guys, there's a lot of them. And because there's so many voices and so many channels, the heresy hunters online, you know, accusing revivals and moves of God. And then I remind myself, some. So it's a 0.01% of the people whose churches are probably dying or they don't even have a church, but they have an opinion. And they are accusing a true move of God of, hey, there's devil power working there, you know. So some, come on, say some. Some. He cast out demons by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons, the chief demon. And so we have to remind ourselves that opposing contrary voices is a small percentage, but the multitudes are being touched by God. That's what God is doing right now. And so it's fascinating that this the Pharisees, the religious leaders who accuse Jesus, they say it's Balzebub. Now, Balzebub is a, a Philistine deity that was connected to gluttony and envy. Gluttony and envy. So quite fascinating because... When Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate, he said he knew why the Pharisees brought Jesus to be killed, to be crucified. Because he said they were envious of him. They were offended that God would use somebody else and not them. So they wanted to kill him. They wanted to demonize him. And so, so that's the one side, the envy. And if we have envy in our hearts, you and I, we will oppose the work of God. All of us have a Pharisee in us somewhere. If we allow in envy, if we allow in pride, if we allow in something that's not of God, we will find ourselves opposing the work of God. So it's critical that we allow the Lord to do a deep work in us. But also Belzebub is connected to gluttony, consuming food. But I want to connect it with consuming. The Bible talks about Christians consuming one another. You see, the enemy is a divider. He wants to divide believers from one another. He wants to divide the church. I'm going to show you that verse in a moment. But so here's a quote by Dr. John White. It's not, it's not on the screen, but it says, even the godliest person who in an unguarded moment puts on spectacles of envy and pride will see only human error and confusion. To recognize a divine visitation, we must view it through twin lenses of true discernment and humility. But if there's envy, if there's fear, if there's ungodly anger, guess what? Your discernment is tainted. You're going to miss God. 
You're going to accuse somebody falsely. You're going to slander somebody. Okay, so Galatians 5.14. It says, for the whole law can be summed up in one command. There's one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love. I mean, the Bible actually says that the unbelievers will know that we are truly of God by what? By our love for one another. But what does the enemy do? He brings in his spirits of division and envy and slander and gossip. And, and then Christians demonize one another. Oh, that's devil power. Oh, that's not of God. Oh, you know, doesn't feel very loving, does it? When you say your brother in Christ, who you'll spend heaven with forever, they have a demon, you know. So look at this. It says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So why am I sharing this? Because I want to prepare us for revival. When God shows up, there are kingdoms clashing. And I tell you, the enemy is going to try and get in. The enemy is going to try and divide. The enemy is going to try and offend you. The enemy is going to try and divide you. The enemy is going to try and cause Christians to miss one another. Because the enemy wants to shut down the move of God. So who has heard about the Kundalini spirit? Raise a hand. I want to get an idea. Okay, cool. Okay, some of you have heard of this. Some of you obviously have not. So this is where my risk comes in. I'm going to expose you <laughs> to a few things so you can have some, some understanding. So this, I call the Kundalini spirit, the modern day Belzebub. Why? Because people are not accusing Christians these days from having a Belzebub, but they are accusing one another of having a Kundalini, a Kundalini spirit. Okay. So what's a Kundalini? Here's a picture. Kundalini. Okay. It's new age. Connected to Hinduism and the mission for those in the new age, guys, this is not Christian, okay? Not Christian, not Christian. They pursue what they call a kundalini awakening through Eastern meditation, through yoga, through a variety of things. They want to awaken the kundalini spirit. It is a demon, okay? It is a demon spirit. You can see the, the third eye thing opens the third eye. It's a demonic spirit who wants to. And I've, I've, re, I've watched testimonies online. I've read stories online of people who've been involved in the new age and they have their spirit guides and there's this wonderful angel of light. And guess what? It's a demon. It's a demon de- deceiving them, lying to them. And so they're being led by this wonderful uh, spirit guide. And somewhere down the line, they figure out it's this is evil. This is tormenting. It lies to them. It wants to destroy them. It's a demonic spirit. Okay. So here's a cover of a book. It's a, not a Christian book. It says Kundalini Awakening. And we'll just read what he says there. An essential guide to achieving higher consciousness. You want to open yourself to the spiritual things. Opening the third eye. Third eye is so that you can see into the spirit realm. So when you receive a demonic spirit, it's going to let you see into the spirit realm. But it's also going to deceive you and lie to you. Balancing your chakras. I have no idea what a chakra is. I haven't really studied these things. I don't want to. And understanding spiritual enlightenment. Okay, so there are many, many, many people across the world that are very open to spiritual things. 
but they are pursuing it in the wrong way. So in the, in the kingdom of God, it is simple. You have God's power and anything that is not God's power is of the enemy. If it's not in the name of Jesus, it's demonic. If it's not the power of God and the Holy Spirit, it's another power and there's only God and the devil and there's not real, there's no battle actually. It's not like the devil's powerful, but he has power. And, but his big power, his biggest strength is the deception, the lies. Okay. So when you go like tarot cards, palm reading, and Eastern meditation, Eastern meditation is about opening your mind, you know, like, like nothing. You're like blank mind, focusing on the candle because you want to open yourself to spiritual enlightenment. That is not biblical. Biblical meditation is you focus on the truth. You fill your heart and your mind with the truth of Jesus Christ and it brings freedom. It's a liberating peace, joy and freedom. The enemy will always lead to bondage, to fear, to confusion. Devil is a deceiver. Okay. So now what is happening is that like with Jesus, the guys are saying, this is demonic power. This, this is the ruler of the demons. That's what they say, Balzebub. Now guess what are they saying about the Kundalini? It is like the most powerful demon. It is like the anti-Holy Spirit. It isn't even a demon. It is the anti-Holy Spirit. And it has infiltrated the church. And if you see people shaking or falling. Or ecstatic experiences. It's a demon. It's worse than a demon. It's the chief devil. It is the Kundalini. That's what they are saying. Some say, if somebody prays for you and you fall forward, that's God. If you fall backward, that's the devil. I'm like, where do you get that? Where's that in the Bible? In the book of Revelation chapter 1, we get an example of John the Apostle encountering Jesus in all his glory. Do you know what happens? He falls down as one dead so it's like the power of God that overwhelms the a human being. You're gonna have, you're gonna, you're gonna fall. So now you must like, okay, don't fall backwards. The devil fall forward. Now you're gonna thinking you could fall sideways, you could fall forward, you could fall backward. Who cares? Have an encounter with Jesus. Have an encounter with Jesus that He might change your life. You know, and we're experiencing this more and more. You know, 10, 11 years ago, I would pray for people, nothing would happen. You know, these days, I hardly touch somebody and the power of God would hit them and they would fall to the floor. And they would get up healed and delivered and hearts restored. People are broken. Broken. We didn't freedom encounter recently and just seeing how people, I mean, some were molested as a child. They had abusive parents. They found themselves in addictions and destructive behavior for, for decades. God loves them. 20 years of counseling won't heal them. One encounter with Jesus can transform them. Amen. And so we are to pursue an encounter with Jesus, whatever it looks like. It isn't about falling or shaking. We're not pursuing a manifestation. We're pursuing Jesus. We want to love him and we want to experience his love and goodness, you know? And so, (laughs) so in my life, you know, I am seeing God move, but I'm seeing the fruit. I'm seeing the change because that's critical. You need to look at the result. 
not what it looks like. And so we see it all through revivals when God shows up. It is messy. Demons manifest, people fall, people shake, but they feel closer to Jesus. They, they, they get, they, 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 they are transformed on the inside. That is the win. Okay. But I want to prepare us because <laughs> as God moves more and more and more, it could get more messy. But I don't know about you, but I want Jesus in the house. I want God in the house through all of us, you know? And so, so what people are now saying is like, oh, the new age has infiltrated the church. These supposed revivals, these moves of God, you know, it's not of God, you know, because of these things, it's the Kundalini and it, because of it, what it looks like and falling. Oh, especially backwards. Oh. The enemy is dividing the church. He's a divider. Okay. So here's the name. So, so, so a few dangers of the heart. This is where we, we need to evaluate our hearts. You can put that on the dangers of the heart. If we have fear, if we have more faith in the power of the enemy to deceive than in God's power to keep us, the spirit of fear will come upon us and our discernment will be tainted. We will be suspicious of others. We will start partnering with the enemy instead of partnering with God. So fear, what we don't understand, we will fear. That's why we need to study revivals. That's why we need to see what has God done in the past and what has God done in the scriptures. Okay. Envy opens the door to the enemy. Why is God working through somebody else and not through me? Envy is a terrible thing that opens us to being used by the enemy. Pride, we think we know better. We only look at our little context of our small, short lives and our church context and church tradition, and we have no context for what God has done before. Pride. Humility is God. I can see you working, and I'm humbling myself. You know, this is like the the test is for all of us, humility. It's like we are pursuing revival. I'm pursuing revival. I'm like, I want to see this city change and transformed. Now, if God shows up at another church in extraordinary grace and power, guess what? Well, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go. If God started working through a 16 year old and I can see it's the presence and the power of God. Guess what? I'm going to humble myself. God, praise God. You're working through somebody because you know, it's not about me. It's not about you. It is about his glory. And as I tell myself over and over again, let it go. Let it go. It's not about me. It's just about serving the people of God with the love of Jesus. Amen. But if the heart isn't circumcised, you will partner with evil. That's the truth. If God shows up in this church and there's envy and pride and gossip and backbiting in our midst, it will destroy the work of God. So we need to allow the Lord to circumcise our hearts and control. When we're afraid, we will try to control. We will, we will quench the power of the Holy Spirit when we try to control what God is doing. Okay. So Luke 11, verse 17, it says, this is Jesus continuing that passage, but it said, but he knowing their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against the house Falls. Jesus continues in the following verses. He says, if Satan is casting out Satan, then it's the end of Satan's kingdom. So Jesus is saying, because I'm casting out demons, it's evidence that this is not demonic. That this is the power of God. You see, the enemy wants to be hidden. 
It doesn't want to be exposed. The anointing exposes demons. And so if there's the genuine casting out of the demonic, it's usually a sign it's the Holy Spirit. A house divided. The enemy's scheme is to divide. He wants to divide your heart. He wants to divide your marriage. He wants to divide your family. And he wants to divide the church. It's his primary scheme. Bring fear, you're divided. Bring deception, you're divided. Bring sin, you're divided. So a month ago, I was um, in Cape Town on my way that afternoon. I flew into Cape Town and then I drove to a conference. I was the, speaking at this conference the Wednesday night and Thursday night. And so in the car on the way to the conference, I'm reading uh, an email on my phone. Uh, it's a pastor that wrote an email to our leadership team of Shofar. And I'm, it's about the Kundalini. I'm like, okay, Kundalini. So now I'm reading, I'm reading, and I'm like, then I come to and Andre. What? Andre has, this is evidence of a Kundalini spirit at work in his life. I'm like, I'm offended. <laughs> you, I lost my peace. I'm like, I need to speak at this conference and I am struggling. Yo, so now I'm preparing for the evening and I'm like, yo, working through the passages and then, yo, I preach it myself. I preach myself happy. You know, Joshua 1, you know, when you, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You stand before God. No man can stop what God's wanting to do. Yo, and that evening God moved so powerfully. So powerfully. You know, I had a word end of worship. 20 people came forward for healing. Every single one of them were healed. Backs healed and hearing healed and necks healed. And a whole bunch of incredible things. God was moving so beautifully. I was, I was at the same conference two years ago, but this was another dimension. At the end of the night after preaching, I had like suddenly I had back pain and I'm like, I'm getting old or is this a word of knowledge? So then I like, I called it out. Anybody with back pain? But I already prayed for backs. So I'm like, come on. And like anybody with back pain, the one guy raises his hand. And I go, why didn't you come forward at the first altar call? And he came in late. He missed the first prayer. He comes forward, pray with him, healed. Pain disappears. Amen. How awesome is that? So I joked with a friend. This is a bad joke. But I joke with my friend. I'm like, yo, this Kundalini thing is powerful. Bad joke. Horrible joke. Okay. It's not the Kundalini, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But I was just like, come on. Can you see what Jesus is doing? Look at the fruit, not at the, what it looks like. And then the Thursday night, I felt the Lord saying we need a minister about deliverance. And so I spoke about Jesus, the one who delivers. And at the end, I haven't even called people forward. The power and the presence of God falls in the room where people start to manifest demons all over the room. It was wild. It was awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, you see, and that is a sign of the anointing. The devil wants to be hidden, but the anointing exposes. And people discover, hey, I have a demonic thing. I need to get freedom. I need, and, and people were beautifully set free. It was such a powerful night. At the end of the evening, uh, I just said, anybody else needs healing? Another 20 people came forward. Every single one were healed. Praise Jesus. Amen. Come on, give Jesus praise. Come on, and I know, I know I am nothing. I have, 
I cannot heal a headache. I am nothing without Jesus. I'm not sharing that to boast in me. I'm wanting, I'm sharing that to reveal what God is doing. Amen. What God is doing. And you have to look at the fruit. You have to look at the results. You know, and so the enemy is wanting to divide. The enemy so what people are, what's happening is people are watching videos about the Kundalini spirit in, and then a spirit of suspicion and fear come upon them. And then they falsely accuse those who are moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's another spirit. It's a trap, people. It's a trap. And I so I want to help us to work to, 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 to navigate these things. So the enemy divides because he wants to destroy. So truth number two, if we're not going to miss God, you need to believe and know this. The devil is a counterfeiter. Look at the fruit, not the manifestation. Look at the fruit, not at the manifestations. What, 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 what do I mean? To believe that something is evil simply because it looks like something in the new age or looks like something in the occult is a trap. Of the enemy. I'll show you from the scriptures in a moment. And trying to judge or discern by merely looking at the manifestation, you're going to miss it. Okay? So let me give you some, some examples. The enemy is a copier of the kingdom of God. For instance, this third eye thing. Okay, in the new age, opens the third eye. It's a demonic spirit that opens your spiritual thing so you can supposedly see into the spirit. Now, in the kingdom of God, we have the gift of discernment. It gives you, by the Holy Spirit, ability to see, to discern demons, angels, to see. Some people can see into the spirit realm. They can walk into a church and they can see angels over there, demons sitting on people there. They can see, but it's of the Holy Spirit. They love Jesus and they follow Christ. But to say, because somebody is seeing visions that is of the devil, it's, it's nonsense. You have false visions, the third eye thing, new age, and then you have true visions. True visions lead to freedom. True visions leads to truth. True visions lead us into the presence of God and the false things will lead us into trouble. In the new age, you would have people like tarot card reading and palm reading and things and even contacting the dead. And so they would know things about people that they shouldn't be able to know. How do they know it? A demonic spirit is telling them. Okay. In the kingdom of God, we have the word of knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit revealing to people things that you cannot know. Why? Because God wants to show you, hey, I love you. I want to set you free. I see you. Okay? So just because there's a counterfeit, if there's false prophecy, it doesn't mean all prophecy is false. If there's false visions, they must be the true as well. Amen? Okay, so this is critical to understand these things. As I said about the spirit guide, you know, here's a picture about the, in the new age, it's like meet your spirit guide. Don't meet your spirit guide. Meet the Holy Spirit. Okay? They would look like an angel of light, but as a demon. Okay? And some of us have been involved in the new age, and you need freedom. You need to be set free from your involvement in those kind of things. Now, I want to give you an example of the counterfeit. Exodus 3, verse 19 to 20. This is Moses. And he's meeting with God at the burning bush. And then God commissions him to go to Pharaoh and to challenge Pharaoh to let the people of God go. So look at this. It says, this is God speaking. But I know 
that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, which is a picture of the kingdom of darkness, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. You know, Egypt was the strongest empire of that era. And so you, it's like Moses just, you know, walking up to Pharaoh like, hey, let the people go. Is he? No. You need to prove, you need to show the power of God if he's going to save. And it's the same today. We need God to change East London, Eastern Cape and our country. We need the power, the authentic power of God to set the people of God free. When God shows our people are set free. Now, we fast forward a little bit. Moses goes to God, uh, to, to Pharaoh and says to him, let the people go. He refuses. Then second time he comes and then Look at this, Exodus 7, verse 8 to 10. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent, a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Yo. Now, if that was happening today, you would have an online heresy hunting YouTuber going like, guys, you will not believe this. I saw this with my own eyes on video. I just saw a video clip of Moses, the supposed man of God, turning his staff into a snake before Pharaoh. Guys, a snake, you know, snake equals devil, devil, devil power. I tell you, I am concerned about this man, Moses. Something is not right here. Something is off. And so I want to warn you, the Lord spoke to me so powerfully. I heard his voice saying, this is the Kundalini. Snake, do you see it? Snake, my brew, snake. (laughs) So Moses walks into this occult powered court where we know the occult is at work in these other sorcerers guys i tell you i think moses is compromised i think moses has given in i think i saw him some point look like like eastern meditation at some point i mean he closed his eyes and was quiet like for, for 10 seconds you know i think he's tapping into this occult power so guys i want to warn you heresy hunter guy here and helping you out to stay on track and to stay away from the devil. And I will see you on the next video. Okay, signing off. High five. Yes, boom. Okay. Heresy Hunter YouTuber. And their videos are all over the show. Proving that somebody is not of God. I saw a video of a guy basically saying that the modern worship movement is all tainted by New Age. All of it. All the worship music you guys listen, what we sing here in church, it's all tainted by the new age. One of the things he says why is because they repeat the same verse over and over again. We do that too. Why do we do that? Because we're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. And the first five times we sang it, you didn't listen. And so 
around the 10th time, you're like, okay, I believe Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my healer. Eastern meditation is empty mind, empty mind, empty mind, calling all demons. You know, Christian meditation is proclaiming the truth over and over again until you get it. Amen. That's biblical meditation. It is good. And so I saw one of the comments on this YouTube video. I saw one of the ladies, they was like, because elevation worship is now also supposedly part of this thing. And so the one lady was like, oh no, I listen to elevation worship. Am I going to go to hell now? I'm like, no, you're not going to go to hell. Jesus loves you. And the worship is powerful, guys. If you want the presence, I don't know if about you, but when I worship on many of these, like elevation worship and other, I feel closer to Jesus. I step into his presence. I experience freedom and joy and truth and life. Look at the fruit. Amen. Look at the fruit. And so the enemy is wanting to divide the body of Christ. And I am contending for unity and clarity and maturity to not fall for the schemes of the enemy. So this is the truth. Don't judge a manifestation, judge the fruit. So in Moses' case, he led millions of people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. Millions. The fruit was amazing. Amen. Moses. Was of God. But they were snakes. Okay. So we're not afraid. Now look at this. Exodus 7, 11 to 12. It says, Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers. And these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. <gasps> they threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I like that part. The power of God transcends, eclipses anything the enemy has. Amen. Now I can imagine Heresy Hunter YouTuber coming to this. Guys, I need to warn you. In the next moment, I'm going to show you a video clip with undeniable evidence that Moses is not of God. Look at this. These occultists, we know they're occultists. Look at this. They throw down their stars and snakes appear. <gasps> now let's look at, let's take a video. Let's take a quick look at when Moses, his staff, when he prayed or Aaron prayed, when they prayed, what happened? Snake. Let me show you. Snake. Snake. It looks the same. Guys, this is undeniable evidence that Moses is being influenced by the Kundalini. Run, people. Run. Stay away, stay away, stay away. Don't go there. Because you will be infected and demonized and whatever else. Are you seeing it? Just because something looks the same doesn't mean it's not of God. You cannot judge a manifestation. You must judge the fruit. You must actually interview somebody. When I had an encounter at our encounters, when after we pray for people, I mean, just this last Wednesday, some of the, well, the people had incredible encounters with God and they found wonderful freedom. And we would have people, hey, come, what happened? What did you feel? What did, what did you experience? They feel, they sense, they are closer to Jesus. They are healing in their heart. They are experiencing freedom. They are closer to Jesus. The fruit is good. 
Amen? This is critical. I tell you, when God shows up, when God shows up, it divides the room. When God shows up, it divides the church. When God shows up, demon spirits are released to bring envy and pride and ungodly things to divide. But God said, hey, love one another. Have grace for people's weaknesses. Have grace for maybe the theology isn't perfect of somebody, but the hand of God. Look at the fruit of what God is doing. Amen. Come on, because I believe the Lord is going to move in incredible ways. I really believe we're just getting started. We're just getting started in terms of what God is going to do. And so, if you read on, it actually says those guys did three, could, could keep up with Moses to three miracles. And from there on, they were like, this is the hand of God. The power of the enemy gets eclipsed by the power of God. Amen. So, revival has challenges. When God shows up, it's messy. But what do we want? A nice clean environment without God? Or do we want Jesus in the house? We want Jesus in the house. We want God to show up. We want people to be healed. We want people to be set free. We want people to get saved and turn to Christ. We want the kingdom of God to come. We want to see our country, our city changed. But for that, we need to have wisdom and maturity and not allow the enemy to deceive us. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.